When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're punchy, folks. We're coming into this it's one real. punchy. There's not too much book news. We're going to do a lot of listener feedback. We're kind of shining it on here as we cannonball towards November 3rd. Um, part of what I haven't told Rebecca this part of the, the, the <sighs> bulk of the sh- part of the game of the show today would be for us to, dis- to, to evaluate listener ideas for the bonus episode. Yes. So that's okay. Gonna, I'm excited about that. We're gonna make a we're gonna make a, a sow's ear out of a sow's ear <laughs> with this. One. <laughs> we're gonna take a sow's ear and make a different sow's ear out of it. Uh, welcome to content it's still creation. Still transformative. Yeah. Welcome to the content <laughs> creation on the internet. Um, buzz Buzzfeed. Uh, I'm sorry. Sowsears.net. Um, so if you still have ideas, let's see. We're recording. You still, if, you've, if you've got more ideas for this bonus episode that is going to drop the day after the election, we will record it sometime prior to that because that's how podcasts work. You record yeah. it prior to releasing the episode. Um, sometime next week. But we still have times if you want to email us at podcast at bookriot.com um, based on your own ideas or some of the things you hear here. What I've decided to think of these listener ideas for episodes is like half-baked listener episode ideas. So we'll have to decide how baked they are, but uh, shoot us an email there. You know, the other thing I'm realizing, Rebecca, is we haven't talked about the holiday recommendation so scheduled, but we're probably a month out from Thanksgiving. And if you wanted to start thinking about what holiday recommendation requests you would like to submit to us for our annual holiday recommendation shows. Sometimes it's one, sometimes we split it into two. We haven't talked about what we're going to do this year. We usually try to release that at or before Thanksgiving weekend to give people a chance to shop. Who knows what the COVID-19 situation will have, will do, will be doing. I guess I'm conjugating verbs now for some reason (laughs) to the holiday shopping season when we get there. But we want to give you time to submit those questions, give us time to look at them, and then for you to go shop for yourselves or other people in the holiday spirit. So we're always looking forward to that. Also, podcast at bookriot.com. And you are always welcome to request a recommendation for yourself. Yes. Especially this year. Treat yourself. Let us recommend books for you. I should say um, recommendation requests are prioritized in the order in which they're received. So the sooner you get one in, the top of the list year you will be, because that is a wow. verb that people know. That's an adjective that people get, <laughs> top of the list year. I, uh, I hope that everyone is ready to be recommended the essays of E.B. White and every book I've ever read about nature. There you go. That's where we are. That, where we are. <laughs> I was going to say, we may have get themes. Ready, we may have a thoroughgoing <laughs> interests that appear again. Let's do a sponsor break and come back into different weirdness. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. 
and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I guess one follow-up story is that the Underground Railroad teaser trailer came out, and I feel like it's everything I'm expecting right now. Did you watch it? Yes, I did. It's one minute of somber music and people gathered in a train station and women in conductor's uniforms and very serious faces. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. I'm definitely going to cry for like seven hours. I don't have a sense. And this was a fun experiment to play with the Dune trailer. If you haven't read the Underground Railroad and you watch this teaser, (laughs) like what do you think it's about? (laughs) Great question. Because I'm not Especially wrong, right? Like, I don't know that it's really, at least for me, it's only, it's only the tip of the iceberg because I know it's an iceberg, I guess. And like the, <laughs> Maybe. the teaser for the trailer is such a weird internet yeah, media right. phenomenon anyway. Like, here's one minute and later on we're going to show you more minutes. But <laughs> like, it's, I think if you watch this one minute and you don't know what the Underground Railroad book is about, you are maybe interested because it's it's just intriguing what yeah. like what could this be it's like but sad black no... tra- it's like sad black train conductors in the 19th century which is like yeah. right but very much not wrong right at the same right. at the same time this is a much fancier train station than i pictured when i read the book i thought that would the the production values looks unbelievable like they really mm-hmm. we knew and wondered well barry jenkins wasn't going to sign up for, sign up for a um a dime store version of this uh, i don't think um, but that is the first whitehead to be adapted in a meaningful way is also um, telling and the floodgates mm-hmm. could open thereafter. But um, I think the teaser for the trailer is really a nerd thing. Like if you're already in on the IP, this is for you. Th- if you yeah. don't know anything about this, this is not for you. You're gonna be like, ah, this is inscrutable, you know, yeah. inscrutable it'll be filmmaking. Really- It'll be really interesting to see what the first full trailer Mm -hmm. contains and what they might hint at or give away for folks who are coming to this fresh. Yeah. I Uh, guess we better predict then that whenever this thing actually drops, when the show is released, the Underground Railroad will bounce back up bestseller list. Oh, yeah, I would think so. I haven't followed the shape of book sales related to streaming service series, like in the olden times, like four years ago, remember the olden times? Um, uh, when, you know, the Martian, the Martian is the one that really stuck out because we were doing this, right? We had, we had the Martian, we had read mm-hmm. it, it had been a phenomenon within the book ride staff, like as a read, we, we followed it getting sold to Ridley Scott and Andy Weir and the whole thing. And so then we saw a second wave of people reading The Martian after the movie came out. There are so many adaptations now, but fewer very high-profile ones like that. Fewer quarter-billion-dollar budgets of a novel kind of a situation. They, they happen, the Raider player, Ready Player Ones and other things like that. But the, the, more, the modal case now is an eight-episode limited series of a mid-list literary fiction novel. Right? What that does to those sales, I'm sure it must do something— but it's, does it buy Colson Whitehead a new car? Does it give him the Tomo apartment, which we should talk about? It, oh, or 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 is it sort of like oh, it's a nice little you know? I get myself a you know I'm taking myself out to dinner. Like I don't know the scale of this kind of a situation so now. Let's 
there's a couple like data points we can noodle on. I think we yeah. can throw out The Handmaid's Tale because that became a bestseller again right after the 2016 yeah. election and it just right. sort of floated along on bestseller lists until the Hulu adaptation. So there's no telling what that would have done if it had only had the adaptation. But Little Fires Everywhere like bumped back up the paperback bestsellers. It did. It when, did. It did. When the Hulu series came out, The Witcher became a bestseller after the Netflix series. Yeah. Did its thing. Yeah. Um, but the, like the counterpoint is like the Jack Reacher series, not Jack Reacher, is it Jack Reacher? Who is the Lee Child? John Krasinski. Yeah. The John, who is John Krasinski playing with? It's oh, like Jack the Ryan. Identity, Jack Ryan. Jack That's Ryan. Tom Clancy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want to, I always confuse those. It's like Tom, my Tom Wolf, Tom Robbins Wait, are problem. you saying you confuse the dozens of 60 year old white guys <laughs> writing vaguely militaristic thrillers? <laughs> Rebecca, how could you? I just, I might be, I might be telling you that. Yeah. Um, at any rate, I don't think that Jack Ryan dropping on Amazon caused some like surge in the Jack Ryan book series, but also that's not a straight adaptation. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's, there's update. no book called Jack Ryan that covers um, the material in that series, right? You're right. It's not a one-to-one comparison. I feel comparison. like Big Little Lies got a pretty good bump when HBO when yeah. that came out. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting. Maybe to the see thing that's what... true is still true is if it's a hit, it does, and if it's not a hit, it doesn't. And there's just more yeah, cases for I, people and, to think, for things to be a hit or and not. And I think y- you have to for it to be a hit, you have to snag viewers who yeah. did not previously read right. the book and then want to know more about those characters or that story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, the Tony Morrison apartment, though. Where I texted, like, let's talk about that. We're we're doing, <laughs> you know, we're following our bliss. Let your conscience be your guide. Those are actually different things, different cliches that don't mean the same thing. But I'm using them interchangeably right now. You can buy Tony Morrison's apartment. Well, you can, Rebecca, with your four point <laughs> seven five million. I cannot. Dollars. Um, her Tribeca apartment, which I had heard rumored that she lived in Tribeca in a really awesome loft. I don't know how I heard this, but I had heard this. Actually, I do know how I heard it, but I'm not at liberty to say how I had heard this. Um, she bought it in 2014, so she hadn't lived there very long. So she lived there. She split time between there and a place she had upstate. Um, mm-hmm. $4.75 million. I'm not sure what I expected Toni Morrison's apartment to look like, but this is a sweet pad. I mean, you have to know a little bit about New York City real estate to know how sweet of a pad this is. Tribeca, it's actually the wealthiest part of of Manhattan is the Upper East Side. The trendiest slash wealthiest part of Manhattan, I think, still is Tribeca, this area that's Mm -hmm. The triangle below Canal Street in the bottom left-hand corner of Manhattan, that's a lot of it is these old converted industrial lofts. Um, so they don't look like prissy 66 Park Avenue apartments, but they're super fancy uh, and really cool at the same time. Um, I guess this is kind. Of, this is kind of what I expected to look like. Like it's got a fancy kitchen, it's got a big bookshelf, it's got a lot of natural mm-hmm. light. As someone who lived in New York at a lot of time, in New York, talking about real estate is like people talk about the weather in other parts of the world. Like it's just sort of <laughs> around. Um, Anyway, you can go take a look at it here. What did you think? Is this what you had a mental model of Tomo's yeah. apartment looking at? What did you think of? Yes. it's. I mean, it's beautiful. Like you said, there's lots of light. There are big bookshelves yeah. built, you know, built-ins that take up a lot of the space and are like prime real estate for her dining room. The piece of information that I probably could find if I like dug deeper to find the listing is I, I want to know the square footage. Yeah. Like it's um, three bedrooms, two and a half baths. Uh, 4.75 million. I'm just curious about what the square footage on something like that is. But it's, I like how simple and mm-hmm. like 
how modern it is. And that makes sense to me for Toni Morrison's sensibility about things. Like, it's not frilly. There aren't a lot of, like, knickknacks all over no, the place. No, no, no. Um, yeah. I, and I knew that it had to be something good because I was on out on PTO for a couple of days. And you wouldn't text me bad news while I was on vacation. Like, I knew it had to be something interesting. To be like, honest, Ooh. I forgot you're on PTO. Don't give me that much credit, having filtered it. <laughs> If it was bad news, I would have thought about it. I was like, what's Rebecca? I was like, oh, Michelle sent it to me. And I was like, I got to send it to Rebecca. Mm. Yeah. Re- well, Michelle's okay. reply to me was, we're buying this, right? And I was like, I just assume so. And she said, I'm glad <laughs> we're on the same page. I think if you don't know much about New York City real estate, you will be surprised about what $4.75 million does not buy you, actually. Maybe that's, you know, yeah, some framing. I mean, that's... That is interesting. Like, I, I think in Richmond, you would uh, be hard-pressed to find something you could yes, spend $4.75 right. million yeah, dollars yeah. on. Like, and it would definitely have, like, 25 bedrooms. Right. And it would be on um, a huge piece of land, right? You know, and, and have yeah, an outdoor like there pool are, and all that stuff. Yes, right. Like, there are a couple NFL players that have houses that overlook the river here. And I'm pretty sure that those are not even this expensive. And they're, they're huge houses that overlook the river and have a nice view and definitely have like a pool and a hot tub and probably 25 bedrooms. Uh, so that is a good New York perspective. Yes, yeah. um, I mainly just felt glad like that Tomo had such a good career and was mm-hmm. not just critically recognized for that work, but that the book sold well enough that she could have this apartment. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know what she decided to do with her money. I don't know if this was at the top end of her budget or the low end. She was, she's splitting time. I don't know what her place upstairs, uh, upstate looked like, but you can spend as much money as you want on real estate in New York, like mm-hmm. literally, you know, up to $200 million for an apartment in the Mandarin. Um, did she have $20 million West Village townhome money or did she not want that? I, that'd be fascinating to know uh, in my own very, very rubbernecky kind of way. <laughs> Knowing a little bit about Manhattan real estate, I guess the square footage is like two to 2,500 square feet okay. probably in that but you know also you're by yourself i mean she probably had company mm-hmm. i don't know how much room do you really need the location is fantastic i mean the location yeah, is, just is curious. what it is um so anyway that's that's um post-mortem voyeurism which sounds really good it feels makes me feel good about that when i said <laughs> well, it that when you way put it that way yeah it feels great um let's take another sponsor break and actually literally get into uh listener emails as promised at the top of the show this was more pertinent as a segue when we were talking about Underground Railroad and um, how much money is involved in that kind of a stuff. Uh, we had someone write in to talk about the CAA option buying binge or splurge we were talking about earlier. Oh. Um, and she said, actually, I think this has nothing to do with the pandemic. I, you and I were kind of speculating. It doesn't really make sense that this is about the pandemic. There, is there some other reason? She says, yes, there is. And here is the reason. It's kind of nuts and bolts about a dispute CAA and some of the other agencies have had with the Writers Guild of America about different terms. All Guild members, which is, she says here was about 99% of working screenwriters, were ordered to fire their agencies who did not sign on to a new agreement of fair practices. Uh, oh. And apparently CAA didn't wasn't playing pool, right? And so CAA had access to original screenplays and series cut off because these Writers Guilds of America aren't signing on with them. So in order to get content, in order to get properties, they need to option them because I, I guess that's governed by some... Then they would go hire someone to adapt a screenplay, which is different than trying to buy original screenplays or television series because 
you know, they they were doing something that the the writers of those original ones didn't want to sign on to, so they needed to go elsewhere to get their content. This is this is this is Laura telling me I haven't done any research about this. Go Google it if you're interested. I don't have a link to put in the show notes. Though this makes more sense to me than something about the pandemic, honestly, Rebecca. This is the kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's why someone's buying ten times that, well, as many. Properties. Yeah, because we. I think we were. Sit, I was definitely sitting there, like, well, people are watching more TV, and you need. But you more can't of make it. But how? Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it felt I couldn't make the two dots connect. Mm-hmm. I wish that this had like been revealed in the reporting of that piece because it did just make it like look at all these books people are buying isn't this great for books now again i can imagine it's not in caa's interest to say and the reason (laughs) we're doing this is because we did the other people dirty and this is the only people we can or the only properties we can get it 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 does suggest maybe a little more reporting again if this is true Mm -hmm. um Because we said the piece itself didn't connect the dots. So a follow-up, uh, I'd be curious if there was a follow-up or anything else um, about that. I've got follow-up about tomato plants in Vermont here. Okay. Um, uh, Allison <laughs> wrote in, who was a little blown away, it sounds like, that we were doing an extended close reading about the growing of tomato plants in Vermont because she herself and her husband have long struggled to grow tomato plants in Vermont. And so it was very much hitting her where she lived. And she says this. I'm going to read this verbatim, Allison. I, I think this is okay. Um, she <laughs> she so talks delighted. she talks a lot about the particular problems that she, they have had with tomatoes and how you know the blight is one thing in the early springs. I'm not going to get into all of that as much mm-hmm. as I was delighted to read that, Allison. Thank you much. But I'm going to read this. Uh, my husband and I have struggled for years with mixed success to grow tomatoes, and the strangest part is we don't even like tomatoes. We don't eat them. <laughs> not raw. Not cooked. Not canned. Not ever. Why on earth do we try to grow them? So next year we decided not to bother. And now I'm feeling pretty good about that decision. Well, Allison, if you need a script for talking to your therapist about tomatoes, we have that for you yes. on that episode. And she's like, leaves more room for things we do like to eat and grow well here, yeah, like carrots, broccoli, right. greens, herbs, and flowers. Beautiful. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm so happy we got that. I was delighted. One of the most delightful responses I've seen in a while. She she said, I don't expect you to talk about this in the podcast. Let this be a lesson to you all. You don't know what we're going to put on the podcast. Uh-uh. Do not and guess. I hope that, I hope you feel some garden liberation. I think you from... should. Yeah. I think you should. Also, San Marzano tomatoes you can buy canned are great. Hard to mm-hmm. beat those. Value of replacement tomato is very, very high. Uh, or very low, I should say. Vort is what they call it. That's the that's what the all the Silicon Valley tomato startups call it. Vort. The Vort. Vort. <laughs> uh, let's see where we're we gonna go. I don't know. This isn't Lori. I think used the occasion of um, uh, of of an open ended call for ideas just to ask us a question. So okay. this is smaller than an episode, uh, but I thought we'd approach it. She's very very upset about. Um, Let's see, I'm going to read this for you. Da, 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 da. Here's a question for you and addresses a pet peeve I have. I will do my best to describe and I hope you will understand what I mean. In new released hardcovers, the pages opposite the spine of the book are offset rather than coming together to form a flat surface. That makes it impossible to fan the pages when I want to go back and look for something I missed. It becomes a laborious task of turning a page at a time as quickly as I can. Case in point, I was reading this book, and there was an aha moment near the end where I realized I missed a fine point at a pivotal moment of the book. I needed to go back and find the page at which I missed the point. I knew exactly what I was looking for, 
It would have been easy to fan back to find that page if the pages weren't offset. It became most annoying search one page at a time. Why are books put together that way? I think my first question is, is she talking about deckled edges, Rebecca? Is that what she's describing here? I'm I'm sitting here at my desk, like trying to touch paperbacks and hardbacks. Yeah. So I can see what she's talking about. I think it's that I think that when you're holding a paperback, the edges of the pages are flush with the edges of the cover. Oh, okay. And when you're holding a hardcover, well, let's see. Here's my Book of Delights by Ross Gay. I've got Jack by desk. Marilyn Robinson. I'm looking at right now on my desk. Good choice. And then I've got Gilead right next to it. Okay, I see. Yeah, so the edges of the covers do extend out beyond the edges of the pages. But if you hold the covers open... Yeah. You and like if I just hold the two hard covers back, I can fan through the paper pages myself. Yeah, you kind of got to you kind of got to you kind of got to oyster it. You kind of got to spread the shell and then grab the meat out of the hard cover, right? You know, you, you then you treat the pages as a pa- as a standalone, you know, it's a it's a set inside of a set of a paperback. I see what yeah. she's saying. Like you have to do this thing I of like think. separating the bulk of the pages from the mm-hmm. covers and then fan but I'm not sure. Maybe it is deckled edges that she's talking about. Yeah. Because when, when you've got deckled edges, that does make it harder. Yeah. You can't really go page by page. So, listener, if you are looking and your pages are all are not all even, the, and you then you have deckled edges. And that is a point of contention among literary yes, people. Yes, it is. Some, of, some literary people love a deckled edge and others hate them, probably for reasons like the ones you've just listed. I wonder what the split is. This is one of those things we wish we had more data about what people actually like versus what publishing does, right? To deckle or not to deckle. Is, does, the, does the proportion of books that are deckled match the number of readers that like deckled edges? Because when you get a book, it's a bind, you don't have the option to buy a deckled edge. You're and, getting deckles or not. So if you like deckles, great. It's like, do you like deckled because you like the way that it looks? Or do you like deckled edges because it conveys something about the book? Like publishers deckle edges and put French flaps on paperbacks when it's like, this is a nice book. Like I'm not an average paperback. I'm a cool paperback. Yeah, it, and they should go I all the way to where you actually have to cut the pages like you used to when you got a book. Like mm-hmm. you have to get out your X-Acto knife and like cut the folio folds of it. Here's another question. If they ended, if they made all deckled edges tomorrow would they sell more copies or if they got if deckled edges were um, by law you know no more deckled <laughs> edges would it make one iota of difference it, i kind of like that there's variation because it's charming and it makes it quirky and whatever but like i can't i can't imagine it <laughs> I can't imagine it matters i just can't yeah i don't care i'm not going to spend like if i had the choice i wouldn't spend extra money on yeah. a deckled edge unless it's a book that I am like attached to in some way and only then because I I know that that's supposed to convey like fanciness and I would want the book that I'm attached to to like look fancy mm-hmm. as for why now let's say we're not it's talking a about construction. Deckled, let's say she's not talking about deckled <laughs> edges she's just talking okay. about regular old um, hardcovers where the pages are even but they are set you know there are the covers are slightly larger than the pages themselves and you have to do the thing of like separating the bulk of the book from the cover to do the fan to fan to fan and scan um no don't don't come on stop um why they're why the pages are smaller than the covers i have never thought about i, I don't have either. a good answer to that 
I think that if, you know, I've done some reading about the history of the book and bindings. If you look, it depends on how your book is bound, but I'm looking at Jack, which has, you know, a cloth binding and it's stitched together and the stitches stick out above the pages because of the way that the stitches actually bind the pages together. They do, they do need to stick out that way. And then the cover protects those stitches from being exposed to the world, right? So if that needs to stick out to protect that, then by nature, the cover would need to stick out from the pages. Now, is that necessary, you know, to use the English pronunciation for some reason, because we're talking about very, very detailed stuff about this? I don't know. I think also the idea is that the cover is supposed to protect the pages. So if it's flush with the pages, it doesn't offer any additional protection, right? It's, you know, it's supposed to take the dings. I think this is a good theory. So by, you know, think of it as like a case where it's going to absorb the blow that the pages would take normally. And then you have a cover on, then you have a dust jacket to protest, protect the cover from, well, I guess dust, I guess, because dust, dust jackets are the worst. I do have feelings about that. That's very, inter- that's, they're very interesting. Um, so I'm not sure if this has helped you at all, Lori, but you bought us 10 minutes of content. So thank you very much for your email. <laughs> That's very interesting," he said, while quickly changing. Yes, well, quickly, but I, but I hope we've answered the question. I think in in hearing Rebecca talk about it, I think she does not. I think we think you know what decal desert are, and that's not it. But anyway, there's yeah, yeah. Um, Maria, she said we mentioned you've got mail in when Harry met Sally, and that got me thinking about Nora Ephron. Have either of you read any of her work? I really love. I feel bad about my neck, and honestly, any of her other essay collections. So I was wondered if you would consider Nora Ephron episode. Um, Ooh, it's like something that. light. This could be really fun after election bonus show. Have you okay. read Nora Ephron, Rebecca? I have read I Feel Bad About My Neck mm-hmm. and Heartburn. Actually, I, list, I I read them on audio. Yes. And that was a great experience. Heartburn especially is wonderful. Meryl Streep performs it. Mm. I have um, listened to the complete Nora and Dahlia Ephron. So I've mm. done it all. I have to say... I really enjoyed them, but as someone who is inclined in general to have a lot to say about very little, I'm not sure what I would say. I guess I'd have to go back and find one. You know, it's not one of those things like, yeah, I'd like to dig my teeth into that. Is that, I don't mean that as a dig, but I'm just not sure I've got, I don't feel the, yeah, I want to go back and look at, I feel bad about my neck. Not in the same way as interpretive maladies or some of the other things we've done or considered in a different way. I am having the same reaction to that. I really enjoyed the Nora Ephron that I've read, and I love her films. Um, mm-hmm. But I think when I was thinking, like, at least for me, when I was thinking about doing You've Got Mail or When Harry Met Sally, I think those are much less analytical episodes and more probably us, like, you know, having a yeah. fan moment of, right. like, let's do our favorite scenes <laughs> and when whatever else comes out of that. Um I would be open to it. I do like Nora Ephron. We might find something to chew on yeah. there. But also, like, how interesting is it if it's just an hour of us being like, we really like this thing. Here's this thing we really like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure we could find... We talked about a poem about tomato plants for 40 minutes. I, you know, I'm, I'm not ever <laughs> that concerned about... That's true. We might be underselling like, ourselves. But <laughs> of all the available targets to attack, this one, I'm like, yeah, I like that. I'm not sure in my reading of Nora Ephron, I get a whole lot more in terms of what would be interesting to talk about, then you get in talking about when Harry met Sally, the sensibilities are there, like, you know, this upper, you know, rich white people in Manhattan Mm -hmm. in the 80s. 
That's great. I mean, I like that, but it's you get more of that. I mean, there's some stuff about aging that's interesting. Delia Efron talking about Nora's death is a whole different thing. I'd be oh. much more interested in talking about that book because you know her own struggles and Delia's relationship to Nora is like there's some interesting. Have you did you you didn't read the Delia book? Have you, Rebecca? I haven't. No, I've only read one of her novels. Yeah, I read the, the, uh, a couple years ago. the collection of essays that came out after Nora died. I would recommend to you on audio, mm. especially. But right. gird your whatever's um, show title. <laughs> Um, for that, but it was really good. So, you know, consider this our episode about Nora Ephron. I think you just got it, Maria. There it is. Like, speaking of things on audio, I have just downloaded but not yet listened to the new Matthew McConaughey memoir, and I feel like that might have some content. Yeah. The other Maria idea was an Ask Us Anything. She wanted to hear about career paths, how BookRite was different in the early days versus now. Mm. There are things to say. I just feel like it's not that interesting, Rebecca. I mean, uh, fa- it used to be Facebook. Now it's an email. <laughs> right. uh, it's SEO. It used to be Twitter and Facebook. Now it's SEO and email and some podcasts yeah, and that the, kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. The the thing I tell people who email me, which which happens, you know, like a couple times a year, about like, how could I you know, what, how can I put myself on a career path to have a job like yours is like, I didn't engineer my career path um, to be this way. Like, and I don't think that you could re-engineer something like this. Like my only advice is I said yes to interesting things that scared me. Shonda rhymes it. You Um, you shonded it. Yeah. Yeah. I just said yes to the interesting things. And I think we tried to make the best decisions we could at every point. And we weren't afraid of trying stuff. Like Mm. maybe that's, I think it it holds true for our philosophy, but when the company was younger and smaller and you're like scrappier, you can try more things and it's like less effort to start them and also less of a deal to end them. So Mm -hmm. we got to conduct a lot of experiments about like bigger kinds of stuff. Um, when the company was smaller but I yeah I just don't know like I wish that there was a way to be like just here's what you do and then you can end up with this cool job that you love um but but I I, honestly it was just like saying yes to the thing that I we didn't know if it was gonna work and like it not working was very possible (laughs) like I might we might try this thing and it might not work and um I might not have this job in a year but it seems trying it is more worth it than not trying it and not knowing yeah, um, is my perspective on that. But the, the good, that like just like the company trajectory it was like we get a lot of it. And you, you've said this, I think on shows mm-hmm. was like, we got lucky that like we started the company at a time that Facebook hadn't gated yeah. who could see things. And we were able to build early audience and early traffic because of that. And mm-hmm. if we were launching now, or if we had launched two years later, it would have been a totally different landscape. Yeah. I think the, the, in terms of the business as is, I'm not sure there's a lot of lessons to be learned like tactically. Um, yeah. We did this, then that, and this change, and now we do this. I think it's it's more the strategic thing. What Rebecca is saying is like, be open to trying stuff, take a risk. But even before that, both you and I and Amanda and some a lot of the people that are on staff or have been longtime contributors, we all had passion projects, right? We had blogs, right, basically. Mm-hmm. We were just doing stuff for fun and connected with other people, Um you know, and then, you know, basically the idea was, well, what if we got some of these people together and brought them under one rubric and put some structure and some financing and you know, advertising relationships and so on and so forth? You know, could we recast this thing we're doing for pleasure into something we can do for a business? And some of that is, and then the people that were out there, and I, I'd include myself because Clint, our, our friend Clint and I 
mm-hmm. sort of got the ball rolling, was to say, like, look at all these people working on this stuff for free, right? Look what these people are doing for nothing, basically, or review copies or whatever mm-hmm. it was. What if we could harness that passion and see what else is out there? Um, and is that does that have a core of an interesting new business? And, and it, I think it did. I think it's the closest analog I think now, and I'm not in this community really at all, is what goes on with book people on YouTube. It's a little hard. The, mm-hmm. the book blog world we existed in, that book right came out of initially, is largely gone in, in my estimation. But the the spirit of it lives, I think, mostly on YouTube. Maybe there's some on Instagram. I just think that's a different deal. I think a post with pictures and a, even a long caption doesn't capture what we were doing on book blogs back in the day and what Book Riot grew out of. But I think these, you know, people are doing 50-minute videos for 50,000 people, and they're watching them. And it's personal, and it's passionate, and it's informal, and it's enthusiastic. And a lot of those same things were what we were harnessing then. So I don't know if that's interesting at all. The the the, the closest version of uh, inchoate of what we were doing 10 years ago seems to be on YouTube. But even they're more sophisticated. They've got influencer deals. They've got, I mean... They're more sophisticated than we were when we were writing our blogs for ourselves, Rebecca. Don't you think? Is that fair? I mean, what do you think of that oh, estimation? Yes. Yes. I think they yeah. are more sophisticated than yeah. we were, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the internet is just more sophisticated. Yeah, it's sure harder. It's people... harder, right? I mean... Yeah, it's a lot harder. I remember we were having trouble, like, really the social network that brought Book Riot together was really Twitter was the thing. People would follow mm-hmm. each other on Twitter and the kind of traffic. I remember Margaret Atwood linking to a post I did on the Reading 8, Maya blog, about I wrote a thousand words about the first line of the blind assassin that she linked to and like a thousand people <laughs> found me that day. And like that's where people you just don't see that anymore. Like it's it just doesn't yeah. happen in quite that way. Um but then we were having you know, we didn't know anything about we weren't on Facebook. Like Facebook was not a book blog thing back then. It was really very much a community that was mm-hmm. insular and not, you know, crossing in a larger world. And I remember a couple this one stretch of like the fall of two thousand uh, twenty eleven into the spring of twenty twelve Bookwright was gaining like 4,000 Facebook followers a day organically back yeah. then. You can't do that. You just can't do that yeah, now unless you're like wild. QAnon and doing conspiracy theory stuff. Or you're spending a lot of money. Yeah, well, you're yeah. Not doing it you can't do it for yeah. free. We didn't have that. We couldn't have yeah. paid for it back then. We didn't have the money. Mm-mm. No, no. And I don't, there may be, a, maybe Instagram and influencer and hashtag, you know, book love or whatever. It can get you that in different ways. I actually don't know. I'm not in that world and maybe we should be, but we're just not. That's not where our passion lies um, <laughs> at this point. Um, let's take a third third and final sponsor break and do a couple more of these. Chloe says, feel good election week bonus episode. Jeff mentioned Christmas movies, and I absolutely think you should do a getting ready for the holidays episodes. Ratings and reviews of the best and are your favorite and or most, a lot, lot of slashes here. She's a person after my <laughs> own heart, I think, because yes. I use a lot of these. Food, baked goods, traditions, tea, cocoa flavors, what you most look forward to, holiday books, books that are good to read for the season, how to be more inclusive of other cultures and holidays, an episode just to get to what do you love and look forward to do Thanksgiving in December will help us all move past the election, past the series of garbage fire crises of 2020, and so far as that's possible. So this is really a, we're on the other side of whatever happened on November 3rd or is in happening, right? Save it for later mm-hmm. if we haven't decided. Mm-hmm. God forbid, help us all. Um <laughs> Light a you know, let's 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 take it moving forward. And, and the holidays are next. People like holidays, generally speaking. What do you think about that, Rebecca? Do we have enough there? I think. I mean, I'm mentally making a list of like my favorite tea and the fleece lined leggings that I love mm-hmm. and pajamas and the movies that I'm going to watch through the holiday season. And we have like between us a very extensive library of holiday music on Spotify. That's so true. There's. 
I think there's there's something there. Mm. I could get down with that. I don't know if we have an hour, but we have we probably have an hour. We just talked about maybe we could do a whole hour on the Great British Bake Off. <sighs> Two hours. <laughs> we we did forty minutes on tomatoes. Limited, Jeff, limited people, series. At least, Limited At series. least one person listened to that episode. So. On on our tombstones, we, we felt we made one feel one person feel better about not growing tomatoes. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. I feel good about that contribution. Yeah. Honestly, I like the holidays. My family has a <laughs> lot of traditions and things that we do and look forward to. I'm not sure it's outside of the realm of like non-denominational mm-hmm. non-denominational former lapsed Protestant middle-class white person stuff like congratulations like white christmas and and cookies i i don't know if that's interesting (laughs) you know what i mean i don't know what to do with that i would be interested in listener call-ins about oh now there we go they're the weird ones not us they're weird we're fine i mean everybody has something i have never made that claim (laughs) yeah I'm normal and weird That's... in all the least interesting ways for both. I've come to decide. <laughs> um, I'm not even interestingly weird, and I'm not even damaged. I'm not even interestingly normal. I'm going to dispute that. I think you have some interesting weirdness. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe. Uh, also, this is this is the worst take I've heard. This isn't a PS. Jeff's obsession. This is Tara with different shaped tortilla chips is absolute madness. The current wedge is perfectly optimized to maximize the amount of dip per surface area. Scoops. Ooh, dip per surface area. Scoops are no yes. abomination. Listen, Tara. <laughs> scoops are an abomination. At least she feels strongly about it. I, you know, it's tough to hear the truth when you've been wrong so long. <laughs> I know this. I'm wrong all the time. It doesn't. It's happened before. I should say. Think about oh. this. You put a, a, a triangle-shaped dip into a thick dip. You have a non-zero fill rate of that breaking off. You're breaking off your tip in the dip. I think that was a beast of words <laughs> lyric at one point, probably. Um, <clears throat> Let's move moving along. along. I just sentence. I dispute the wedge. It's the least <laughs> stable way to get. It's Archimedes taught us the lever has too much force at the end of the lever. Oh my God, we have gotten to Archimedes. <laughs> Give me a tortilla chip large enough to move the dip. And I'll rule the world. Um, Tara's other idea, or this is also feedback. So we're off the, yeah, Christmas. Eh, I guess I'm feeling, eh. I'd rather do an hour on break, British Baking Show. But we, could, okay. we can keep that in our back pocket. We haven't, we're not deciding anything here. We could just read more Louise Glick poems. I'm saying there's got to be one about zucchini. At least one. At least one about <laughs> zucchini. T- uh, Tara's, the body of her episode was feedback about indie bookshop sales being down. Mm. And she was thinking about McNally Jackson in particular. But like how many... How many of these dollars are not sort of locals not shopping there, but tourists not coming in, which I thought was a wonderful point. As wrong as oh. she was about tortilla chips, to be as right about this is really a, you know, a roller coaster for Tara's email here. Sarah McAnally said that in an interview. Oh, last she week. did? Okay, I that, missed that particular um, piece. I saw that she was quoted saying, like, I guess more of my foot traffic was tourists than I realized, or I, I, and I've just never known. Yeah. And I did spend a couple minutes just silently spinning my wheels about like, how could an indie bookstore know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think some stores have like membership programs and you could sort of track users, but yeah, like n- not knowing. 
how much of your traffic is tourists would be super interesting because New York's not really a place that has like tourist seasons. It's just like yeah. every, <laughs> every every day is a tourist day in New York. Is right? a tourist season yeah. right? Where like a couple of my bookseller friends are in places that have like a very clear tourist season, and so they can track like usually tourist season. We see this kind of bump, and here's what happened in mm-hmm. this year's tourist season instead. So it's really an interesting question, especially for somebody like New York City. Yeah, yeah. and so many independent bookstores I think exist in the parts of town that are tourist friendly, like the the quaint downtowns, the high foot traffic Mm -hmm. areas. So it makes sense that even if they don't think of themselves necessarily as catering to tourists, there's going to be tourists that come by, right? And we we see this, our friends and our our fellow book write contributors and people know online, this is not how I tend to vacation. We know people that they go on vacation. One thing they do is make sure they hit all the local bookstores when they're on vacation if you're a book person. I was just going to, I was wondering, like, I wonder if the percentage of tourist dollars spent in indie bookstores in a city is just proportional to the percentage of tourist dollars spent in any other business in that city, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I would say probably for people, for book people, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever that means, you know, you know, when you see it, um, Part of going to a new place is checking out the bookstores. I just think it is. Yeah. I just think it is. I think, yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah, yeah like I think I've, I think I might have mentioned this on the show, but like for food people, mm-hmm. Helen Rosner at the New Yorker suggested, you know, like the thing to do in COVID is pick three restaurants. Like don't don't spread it all around. Like pick three uh, yeah. restaurants in your hometown that you're that you're really invested in having them continue, and then pour everything that you can into those places. So many so tacos. Right? So I'm eating so many fried chicken sandwiches from the place around the corner from my house. It's Jeff. There's pimento cheese and this like white barbecue sauce that has crack in it. It's so good. Uh Um, But I think you could do the same with book businesses if that's, if you're, you know, a book person thinking that way about like what are, and there's, that's kind of what I've done is I've got like my restaurants here and there's, you know, a Richmond bookstore and a couple out of state bookstores that I love that like. You're getting my money. Yep. That's how we're going to try to get through I'm this. sure there's some game theory about that, but it makes sense, right? If you have $200 mm-hmm. of discretionary income that you're going to use to, quote, unquote, support something, the the chance of your one of your dollars being the marginal dollar that keeps a business in business is just a lot higher if you spend $200 at one place versus yeah. $10 at 20 places, right? You're mm-hmm. probably not going to make that much difference. Um or maybe it, maybe it washes out. I'm not good at probability. This is not a show about well, statistics. No, but I'm glad to know that with your support, Matt's Barbecue Tacos will stay alive. Matt's Barbecue Tacos doesn't need my support, but I am supporting <laughs> them anyway. Uh, let's do one, uh, two more. Uh, Erskine writes in, um, his idea, I'm not sure it's a he. It doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't they. matter. If, I'm not, if I got this wrong, Erskine wrote in, and they said, um, also very nice things. First one they listened to, it's their filter and overcast to be the first podcast. This is keeping him sane, keep, keeping them sane in the insanity of AC, uh, ICU care. Erskine is a doctor. Thank oh, you, wow. Erskine. Good luck. Take care of yourself yes. as best you can. May your efforts succeed. Uh, here's the idea. You are running a bookstore that has every book available that you wish. Someone walks Ooh. in who wants to read a book in X genre, and they have never read a book in that genre. So what are your three choices for different genres? Nonfiction, romances. <sighs> so like they're coming to it fresh, not asking what your best three books in each genre are, asking what your top three waiting. Erskine has reverse engineered a gimmick I came up with a long time ago called Reading Pathways, but not for individual authors, but for genres. Reading Pathways was, this- you've never read Louise Glick, here are the three poems to get started, and here's the order in which you should read them. This is, it you're getting into like a new a- genre. I like this idea. I don't know enough about these genres to do all of them, but we could do some of them, maybe. 
Yeah, I think it's a marriage of reading pathways and your Swiss Army recommendation yes, 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 situation. Because yes, 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 yes. if you're getting it, like what's the what's your go to poetry book? You're assuming that that's a poetry mm-hmm. book that's going to ring a lot of people's bells, right? Um, yeah. Ooh, that's a fun question. Yeah, it'd be good. Yeah, I, think, I also could I'm not, not sure cover all whole, the genres. Uh, we could do. Yeah. Like food memoirs, like we could pick, you know, we could tailor make, we could ask where the pitch gets thrown, right, to hit it hard Mm -hmm. um, somewhere. But I like that idea. Um, We'll keep that one in our back pocket too. Last one, uh, this is just nice words for us. Uh, But also I'm going to bridge out. So Carolyn wrote in to say she really enjoyed the uh, Louise Glick reading. We weren't sure what people were going to think about that. Uh, we We got more positive feedback than I would have expected. Um, she says she's here for any close reading of poetry we do any day, which I thought Ooh. she was going to lead into what other poems or poets would bear 40 minutes of scrutiny and what would you pick? Well, those are two separate questions that she didn't ask. So let me answer the first one she didn't ask first. This, for, the, the first question is I could do 40 minutes on any poem. That's just how I'm built. You know, that, I don't yep. know. Now, whether or not it's, that, that it's all good, that's a, if, if some will be better than others probably. Now, what I would like to spend 40 minutes reading and doing the work of close reading, having fun with it in, in the way that I find close readings interesting, that's an interesting question I don't have a great idea about. Because, like, I'm so used to doing the close readers in teacher mode that I don't often mm. get to do it in sort of doing it for myself mode. And this Glick one was because I had never taught the Glick before, so I was sort of, you know... Um, Close, close reading thyself. Teacher, close read thyself. Um, so I, there's probably a huge swath of poets that are great and that I would like that I have no experience with. I don't know who they are, but I would want to do one of those, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Rebecca, what do you have? On, are there poets that either you would like to spend, you know, focused effort on that you already like or as an excuse, a reason, a hook to wade into the waters of someone you've like, I've always been meaning to read X, but never really got around to it. Yeah. I, I mean, most of the like poetry catalog exists in the space of I would I've been meaning to yeah. <laughs> never got there right. for me like poetry is something that I've um, only really come to as an adult yeah. reader in the last several years when I got over the idea that poetry was too hard mm. for me and I blame high school for that but like it took me you know, 20 years <laughs> to recover um, and I, I think the Louise Glick experience was kind of exactly what I want out of a close reading also like it helps me if it's so if it's a work at least that I'm not already familiar with and don't have my own understanding of and relationship to like we could close read Mary Oliver right. you know from now until kingdom come but I have such a personal relationship with a lot of those poems that I don't want to close read them mm. like I don't want to academically read those out loud with someone else because I already know what they mean to me and what they have meant to me what you're what I'm hearing and- is I'm going to ruin it that's what I just heard out of that <laughs> I don't want Jeff to get his academic reading juice all over this. It's not Jeff. It's uh-huh. just, I don't want anybody else's input. Wait, 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 wait. What... Would you consider what we did with the Glick an academic ruining no. reading? Okay, okay. No, no, no. No, not academic. Um, right. But I don't but want still to... ruin. Not academic, but you still ruined <laughs> I don't want to take apart okay. out loud yeah. with someone else. And there, it's really, I don't want anybody else's projections onto the thing that I already have such a close relationship to and that really means a lot to me. Mm. Um, so Glick was great because the, the like, those poems ask something of you, but they're not 
super demanding and I didn't have any pre-existing relationship with her or any of her work and you didn't seem to have like a really long-running relationship no, with no. that Vesper's Tomato poem so there was like I, we were discovering it together and I think that's important for the I close like that. reading I like experience that of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to discover it together and to be coming to it with like relatively fresh eyes but the good news is that I would be coming to almost anything <laughs> poetry uh, <laughs> with a relatively fresh eyes that's funny. Um, but I I'm totally open to that it was really fun and I think those are some of the most like this whole podcast is always unscripted but like I think we started that episode with really no idea yeah. of what was going to happen in 45 minutes of reading a poem about tomatoes. I definitely did not think that I was going to be imagining myself into <laughs> Louise Glick's shoes on her therapist couch. Look, <laughs> like, you know, sometimes a close reading says more about the close reader. It could be that any poem we close read is going to be end up you thinking, imagining yourself talking to your therapist about something in a poem. That's totally just possible. possible. That's very it's possible. Totally possible. Yeah. It's a, it's a roar, it's a roar, it's a, it's a rhyming Rorschach test um, or free verse. Uh, yeah, I'm, I would be, but we should spend some, some time thinking about other poets that might be interesting. I have, I should thumb through, I have a really good, um, you know, anthology, right, of, of modern American poets, modern being sort of like 1918 to whenever it was published. Mm. And that's, it's really flippable. Um, sadly, the pages are offset from the cover, so I do have to do the I have to, I have to do the, the the fan and scan. Um, but it's very browsable, and I could remind myself of something I've been meaning to read, or maybe just make some new discoveries. It would be a good excuse. I always I like to read sort of. I don't really ever like pick up a volume of contemporary poetry and like you know something that like Milkweed has put out and bought it and read. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. Um, but best American po- is there a best American poetry? Is there one oh, of those? I think, I think so. See, I should do that. That's exactly where I am. I'm interested enough, but I don't care enough to curate it for myself, I guess. Um, but I would do that. So anyway, if you've got, if you, I guess let's end it here. Podcast at bookride.com. If you have an author that you think we would, a poet that you think we would like and would withstand close reading that's generative and interesting for other people to listen to, you're listening to the show. You know enough about us. You know enough more about us than other people. Um, podcast at bookride.com. Um, shoot us an email. You can find links to, I guess we talked about something linkable, but that's probably the top of the show. You can also find those bookride.com slash listen. Uh, look at all the bread we covered with that much butter, Rebecca. Yeah. There is a Best American Poetry series. There we go. Should start there. I've got some reading to do. Um, Rebecca, thank you. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one.